you know, I, when I get back to these mountains, if I'm away, I just, it makes me feel safe. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Appalachia Meets World, we're back, it's Will. What up? And Neil, so how's Neil. it going? Got a big storm brewing down south, which is, yeah. not, not, you know, you know, the last hurricane that came through, it was, I think it dissipated into like a tropical storm. I was watching the news and the broad, it's funny that the, the broadcasters seem disappointed that, that nothing happened during that one. I but know. now you watch the news now in New Orleans and it's just sad to say, but they seem so excited that it's the, the storm going to hit. <laughs> yeah. can you imagine being a meteorologist no did you see him out there they were wearing their baseball helmets are you kidding me <laughs> no <laughs> every one of them had baseball helmets on i just i can't imagine being wrong like 75 percent of the time and, and people <laughs> paying me for it i mean it's Sweet. like yeah it's the greatest gig ever i, I think uh i miss my calling i'll go ahead and ask you where, where are you from anything happening down there man Lots of going on uh, in the 606. Personally, for me, days are long and just uh, going in about six different directions, trying to keep it all together right now, man. If I sound tired, it's because I am. I think that's become the par for the course for these episodes. I think we're both extremely busy. It's that that time of year, always a lot going on. I, I know we started our food series. Uh, we're continuing our food series I wanted to tell a little food story. This is not anything about where I'm from, but it's a it's a little food story. If you care to indulge me, I will I will tell you a little little food story. I will I will indulge. I think you talked about it last episode when we talked about soup beans and and I always you know when I was away I'd always try to think of something eclectic to say and you mentioned sushi. Well, I went to visit a buddy once uh, in Nashville. I actually, I think we went for a concert or something, but this buddy, I'll give a shout out to Adam Gibson. So I was at Adrock's place and, and him and his wife decided we would go get some sushi, which was fine. I was there with, with someone else, but we went and got sushi, which I'm fine with sushi. I usually look at it as bait before <laughs> I really started to enjoy it. But we went to the place and, and uh, they ordered edamame as an appetizer. At a who? Edamame. Have you ever had edamame? <laughs> no. This is the first time that I'd ever seen it or had it as well. And so they brought it out as an appetizer. And when you see edamame, it looks like green beans or snap peas. So I just assume you eat the whole bean, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I put it, I started eating it. And, and you don't you don't eat edamame whole. You just suck out the beans. But no one told me that. And I was there with someone and Ad, Adrock and his wife were just looking at me and not saying anything and just watching <laughs> me try to eat these edamame beans one after another, knowing that I couldn't swallow them uh, as I was eating them because it's impossible. They're just these grainy. It, it's just, just impossible. So uh, thanks, Adam. Experience. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Good. That's part of the bro code, man. <laughs> now we had to eat the edamame. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they were laughing on the inside, and they definitely laugh about it now. 
to that point, one of the things that you put on edamame, the things that make it really good to me, they sprinkle salt all over them. And so what I like about edamame now is just to suck the salt off. And I think that's the only thing that makes them good. And that's kind of leads me into our episode tonight. Yep. I mean, all about salt. All about the salt. What do you think about salt? Are you a salt lover? I am a lover of salt and all things salt and many different types of salt and adding salt to just about everything. So I know I'm totally going to be intrigued during this episode. I absolutely love salt too. Let me ask you this. Say you go to a restaurant and they serve you a meal. Do you taste your food and then salt it or you just go ahead and salt it? Salt. (laughs) I'm the same way. Let me ask you this. When mom, you remember mom, when she would put and get done cooking something and put it on the table and say, there's lots of salt in that. Be careful. Did you salt it still? I salted it. I said I even before I tasted it, I will still salt it. Yep, me too. It's funny. I, I've, I've always heard this story about applying for medical school. The people that are interviewing this person, that's one of the things that they do during the interviews. They serve them food to see if they will taste try it and then salt it or just salt it first because if they you know they're not being as observant if they're just salting it without trying it yeah yeah i, I totally disregard that yeah that's why i'm not in the medical field <laughs> you know who salts food more than me and you amber amber <laughs> that's funny we both had the same amber will throw some salt at something for listeners that don't know that's our sister yeah she will use some salt oh yeah she's a salter that's for sure <laughs> for sure so you know i haven't really looked into making salt and i'm looking forward to learning all about it tonight so what do you think have you thought about that do you, have you thought about like where your last batch of salt came from? To be totally honest, I just thought it came from the grocery store. I have <laughs> <laughs> I have never thought about how do you make salt? I know, right? I mean, it's so such an intriguing question now, but I've never thought about it before. Yeah, I mean <laughs> grocery. That's how you yeah. make it. <laughs> it just comes from the Kroger. Kroger man. Yeah. Go down to Kroger, pick it up. You know, I mean, those of us that have been in the restaurant business a little bit, dabbled in it. Yeah, I mean, you may have a time or two taken a couple salt shakers home, you know. But this guest will let us know of the history. Speaking of Appalachia, there's a tremendous history with salt. And we have we had no idea. Yep. Who would have known it? We, We thought we were the coal capital of the world. Nope. Before coal, before they were mining coal, they were mining salt. Yep. Let's get let's get an expert on here. Nobody cares if we know the history because we don't we can't even tell it right. Let's get an expert on. <laughs> well, let's get into it. I, I don't mind that at all. How, how about it? Let's do it. On the show tonight, we have Nancy Bruns of Malden, West Virginia. Nancy is an innovator, a creator, and a maker of salt. She attended Bucknell University, but then went to the New England Culinary Institute of Vermont, where she became a chef throughout the first part of her career. She turned in her chef knives for Brian and 
Salt. And now is the co-founder or co-owner of JQ Dickinson Salt Works with her brother, Louis Payne. Nancy, we want to welcome you to the program and thank you so much for being a part of it. Well, thanks for having me, Will. I'm excited to be here. One thing to kick it off, this is something we ask all our guests. As you know, Appalachians are big on traditions, big on history. One tradition we have in our family is appetizers. Uh, we just wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Oh, wow. Um, that's a tough question. I have, uh, I always love a good charcuterie board with, you know, cured meats and cheeses and things. And, uh, you know, if I can get them locally, that's a good thing. Uh, my favorite holiday dish is always the, uh, the dressing that goes with the turkey. Nice. You put salt on the dressing? Oh, I put salt on everything. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. But you got to have good gravy to go on the dressing. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Requirement. We can go ahead and get started. Salt. People, when they first think of salt, they don't necessarily think of Appalachia. Can you kind of give a little bit of history of salt in Appalachia and kind of your family history in regards to the salt business? Sure. So... The salt industry is one of Appalachia's first industries, and uh, we're on top of the ancient Ipetus Ocean. It's a 400 to 600 million year old uh, source. It's the ocean where Pangaea was formed. And when the continents broke back apart, they each took part of this ocean with them. So it's deep underground here, and there's a freshwater aquifer that runs across these salt domes and dissolves them. So it runs under us like the Salty River. It's between uh, 300 feet deep and 1,700 feet deep. So this was pushing up in springs in different places. We had Native Americans here who were gathering salt for their needs. They also came because it was a great place to hunt because large animals like elk and deer and buffalo needed to lick salt. They need salt in their diets, just like we do. So it was great hunting ground. And then as the uh, European settlers moved west across the Allegheny Mountains into the Kanawha Valley, they found this really important uh, salt source away from the coast. Yeah, if you think about what our lives would be like without refrigeration, they'd be very, very different. So, and salt would be on our grocery list on a daily basis uh, to preserve our foods. And that, that's what it was like. And so a lot of people really preferred to have salt uh, even more than cash at the time because they knew they could barter with it and they could also survive. Uh, when they hunted, they could cure their meats. Uh, they could, um, you know, can vegetables and things like that. So uh, salt was really, really important in large quantities. So uh, this area grew up to be the largest salt producing region in the country in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, there were over 50 different producers and 100 different wells were drilled. Most of the salt was going to Cincinnati. Once that really developed as the uh, meat packing kind of center of the country, uh, it was called Porkopolis at the time. And so uh, the salt could leave here at the Kanawha Valley and go down the Kanawha River <clears throat> to the Ohio River and get to Cincinnati fairly easily. It was a big an industry, huge industry. Uh, it is an industry that was built on the backs of slaves. There were about 5,000 slaves here in the valley at the time, you know, like many other industries at that time. 
So our family started making salt in 1817 uh, and made salt till 1945. And then my brother and I picked it back up in 2013. There's a long history, of, obviously, of salt in Appalachia, but many people don't know <laughs> about it, which right. I, I'm finding incredible. Your personal journey, how, do you, how did you go from chef to now, I guess, the right term is salt maker? <laughs> I get whatever you want to call me. Um, so I, yeah, like you said, when we started, I spent the early part of my career, 20 plus years um, in the food industry. After culinary school, I worked in many different aspects of it. And my last job or was in North Carolina. I owned a restaurant for 10 years there with my uh, husband, who's now my ex-husband. So once we sold that, um, he really got interested in uh, salt as um, in history, as a talking point and something that kind of changed the course of history. And so he went back to school and got his master's in American history with concentration on, on salt in America. So he really started digging into it deeply. And I knew that our family had made salt, uh, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. Once he started coming up with the name Dickinson in Kanawha Valley in his research, it really got my attention. At the same time, we were collecting salts in our pantry from all over the world and were fascinated with the interaction of different salts with different foods and the crystal shapes and sizes and mineral content and just the differences from their, their sources. So it was sort of this aha moment I had when I was like, oh, I think I know what my next project's gonna be and that's gonna be making sense. And uh, so I came back to West Virginia. So just on a personal note, because you were in North Carolina, I have to ask what the restaurant was. I'm a former Bojangles franchisee. So uh, what, what restaurant were, did you own in, in North Carolina? I was in Highlands, North Carolina in the mountains, and it was okay. called Wild Time Gourmet, T-H-Y-M-E, like the herb. Okay. Yeah, cool. And, um, yeah, then we sold it. I love I sold the Asian well. chicken biscuit. Oh, yeah. yeah. When you, when you transitioned, uh, you, you know, you mentioned your husband or ex-husband found out a lot in regards to history of salt. When you transitioned from chef, I mean, that's not something the lay person would know how to make salt. Like, what was that transition and what is the process to make salt? How, how long does it take? I'm assuming you have wells on your property to pump the, the water that's underground out. What does that process look like and how, how long does it take? And when you first discovered uh, that you had salt, was it kind of an aha, oh, here it is <laughs> kind of moment? Or, or is it like striking gold? I don't know. Uh, well, a little bit it was. Uh, let's see. So yes, we all of that. It was complicated, more complicated than we we thought. So I partnered with my brother. We decided to move forward with the business, and it was important to us to have a very low environmental footprint. So we wanted to do everything using solar evaporation. So we um, put the brine into what we call sun houses on a food grade plastic lining uh, that's heat and temperature resistant. So, um, and then just evaporate this brine. Well, we got into uh, a lot of chemistry 
which neither of us majored in in college. So we ended up hiring a, uh, an intern from local university from their chemistry department to help us learn about what was happening to this brine as it was evaporating. And uh, there were different things that were coming out. First, we had to deal with an iron deposit, which was in the brine. So we let that settle. It was known as Great Canal Red Salt, but that made it very metallic tasting. And so, you know, our palates have developed so much more than in the 1800s. They, they were just glad to have food. They weren't so particular about taste as we are. Uh, then we had a calcium carbonate precipitating out, which was making the salt a little bit bitter and discoloring it. So we had to figure out how to get that out of the brine. So we had to kind of move it mid evaporation. And then we had these beautiful salt crystals form. So it, it took us about, I don't know, two to three months to get the process down. Sean, our intern, turned you know everything into a lab and he had different uh, evaporation depths and sizes on different kind of underlayments. We were trying to see what worked best and taking all kinds of notes and data. And so then we analyzed it and finally got to our, our product we have today. So uh, my brother wanted to rename the company Trial and Error because that's <laughs> like that's all we were doing. But, you know, there's no salt making book for dummies. <laughs> right. We had to figure um, it out ourselves. I wanted to ask a curiosity question just uh, in regards to your business. What what kind of staff do you have? How many people do you employ uh, there in the salt industry? I don't know. I, I know it's a kind of a natural process, but I didn't know in regards to staffing what you have to do. Yeah. So I actually have 12 employees, but I've got two that are full-time on events. I've got a social media person. I've got a, a full-time sales person who also, she makes our caramel sauce. Then I've got about six people full-time on salt. So it, it's a labor-intensive process. And it's, especially in the summer, it, it's quick. We've got, we've got to move those beds, move the brine when it's ready to move, harvest when it's ready to harvest, and refill. So we're taking full advantage of our salt-making season, which runs from March to uh, November. I'm always after the staff if there's an empty bed. Like, why isn't there brine in it? You know, if we miss a few days, that can really slow us down. And our supply is outpaced demand for now, but certainly that could turn around. And we want to make sure that uh, we don't, if we're not short, because we can't just automatically make it in a day. You know, you mentioned the Canal Valley and that deep history that it has with salt. Does, it, does, that, does that make Appalachia salt capital? <laughs> I know that, you know, they make salt in other places, but if it, if it has that much of a history, uh, are other people making salt in Appalachia or are you kind of the one and only? We are the one and only that I know about. I do know that there is a company in Syracuse, the Syracuse Salt Company in New York, but I'm not sure they're in Appalachia. Syracuse actually at the same time was producing a lot of salt uh, from an underground source there and uh, was able to ship through the Erie Canal system to the Great Lakes. And uh, once Chicago popped up as the uh, meat center of the country, um, Syracuse salt was able to get to Chicago. That was kind of the downfall of Kanawha salt. 
that was the start of um, Morton salt. So these Syracuse salt makers then evolved into Morton's and then they found uh, salt in, in Michigan. Um, that was really the major, you know, competition at the time, but mm-hmm. um, we, we, had a, we had a lock on the industry for about 30 years here in Appalachia. You, you have a beautiful website. I, I, we've, Neil and I have obviously never been there, but it seems that your property is pretty amazing as well. I know from your website that you offer tours and things like that. You now have a mercantile, which you partner with other Appalachian products. But what type of salts do you produce? Um, Is it just salt? Uh, I guess my question is how many different kinds of salt products and, and what other things do you do on your property? So we, um, our salt is all one uh, flavor when we're finished with the plain salt. And that could be in three different crystal sizes. Either a grinding salt is our coarsest salt, a finishing salt, which is a medium coarseness similar to say a kosher salt. Um, And then what we call our popcorn salt or cooking salt is our finest crystal. And you're gonna get the same flavor profile from all three of those. Then we take our uh, finishing salt and we add some Appalachian-based flavors to them. We um, do two smoked salts. We do an applewood smoked salt, and we also do a bourbon barrel smoked salt, and we partner with Smooth Ambler Spirits. Um, They send us their used bourbon barrels there in Greenbrier County, Virginia, so we make great bourbon barrel salt there. Uh, We also do a ramp salt, sure y'all Very know cool. what ramps are, our, our local mountain onion. So we get as many of those in the spring as we can, and we dehydrate them, and then uh, we mix them into our salt in batches. And let's see, we have a mushroom herb salt, which uh, we partner with actually a Dickinson cousin. His name is George Patterson. He has Hernshaw Farms mushrooms um, here in the uh, Kanawha Valley up on Hernshaw Mountain. And uh, he is turning mine land into farmland by using his spent mushroom blocks to turn into the rocky soil. And so he dries a medley of mushrooms for us to mix into that salt. And then we add some uh, rosemary and black pepper and some thyme to that. And then we do a ghost pepper salt, which we partner with the uh, National Guard program here that uh, has a program called Patriot Gardens, G-U-A-R-D-E-N-S. And they're training uh, their guardsmen in agricultural skills. And so they grow all of our ghost peppers for us. And uh, so we dry those and mix those into the salt, add a little kick. Then we have, we do a dry brine mix, which is full of um, herbs and spices I add water to it and you can brine your turkey for Thanksgiving or chicken or other poultry. You could add pork chops to it. It's great to add flavor and moisture to your food. And we do some cocktail salts. We have a Bloody Mary salt where we take our applewood smoked salt, add celery seed and roasted garlic and a little dried chili to it. Great on the rim of a Bloody Mary, but also makes a great seasoning salt for vegetables or fish or chicken or People love it on steaks too. Uh, And then we do a plain craft cocktail salt to rim your margarita glass. Or people don't realize that just putting a little pinch of salt in your cocktail 
just like you salt your food, really uh, rounds out the flavor and adds a little extra depth to your drink. So do you want to talk about your mercantile? I think that's a pretty cool attribute that you have there. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. As the salt business grew and we started to partner with other producers who were using our salt and their products, I realized that, you know, there's so much talent in these mountains all over the um, Southern Appalachians, Middle Appalachians that needed to be shared. So I started what was called the Appalachian Mercantile subscription box. So we send out monthly or seasonally, depending on how you sign up for it, a box of food, craft, and home good items, uh, six to seven items a month or season that really kind of show what, what Appalachia is great at, um, which is uh, food and crafts and home goods. So I include a recipe and I include a card that talks about each maker as well. It just gives a little slice of of Appalachia. So then we keep those products on our shelves and on our e-commerce site to share with our followers. And uh, we also wholesale them to our retailers. So we're really trying to promote the great things that are going on here in the region. If I wanted to sign up for that, what's the easiest way for me to do that right now? <laughs> Go to jqdappalachianmercantile.com. I'm going to slide a quick question in here, uh, Nancy. So watermelon, do you salt your watermelon or not? I don't know <laughs> if it's a north-south thing, but my kids and my wife look at me like I have three heads when I put salt on my watermelon. I love it. I, I salt my watermelon. Absolutely. Nice. Nice. Yes. <laughs> It's actually one of the first ways we would taste salt with people uh, was get them to taste it on watermelon and, and what that does. And they think you're, some people think you're a little crazy, but no. It's so much better. It is so much better. And I, one of my favorite salads in the summer is uh, watermelon and cherry tomatoes and mint and a uh, little feta cheese and a good sprinkling of, of salt and a little uh, oil and vinegar on it. And it is so good. I, I eat it almost every day. Yeah, I, I, with my with my breakfast in the morning, I, I have a side of eggs with my salt. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully you're using our salt uh, for that. Because it, it's great, <laughs> great on eggs, especially the ramp salt. It's really good on eggs. Do you have anything in the works there? Uh, what's next for JQ Dickinson? Um, I do. We're... Well, a couple things. First, uh, here in the next week or 10 days, we should be opening a shop and cafe in Morgantown called the Appalachian Mercantile General Store and Cafe. Uh, it's actually in the town of Granville, which is kind of surrounded by Morgantown. It's just across the, the river from the Coliseum. So that's exciting, uh, trying to expand our, our reach. And um, I've got a great partner up there, Joe Woods, who's uh, leading that project. So we think this model will be something that maybe we can um, duplicate throughout Appalachia. So we're excited about that. And then got a new line of seasonings coming out called JQ Dickinson Spice Blends. So we're doing like uh, Appalachian Zatar blend, um, ramped up ranch dry blend, Smoky Mountain meat rub, Allegheny citrus and herb rub. Let's see one more. Oh, a, a bagel. Everybody loves that everything bagel. So we're doing Blue Ridge bagel. 
all, they all have our salt in it and I'm um, working on getting as many uh, local producers for the herbs and spices as I can. So that should launch uh, this fall. Very cool. Speaking of Appalachia, have you, you know, when you went away to chef school or the Culinary Institute or just in your current at JQ Dickinson, have you had any challenges just being from Appalachia or the business being in Appalachia? You know, I know you sell your products nationwide, if not worldwide, but um, have you had any challenges just being from Appalachia? That's something I'm kind of curious about. Um, yeah, I, I'd say, you know, there are always challenges with business and you don't know if it's because you're from Appalachia or West Virginia or what, but I think there's a low bar set for West Virginia. So people don't expect a lot. There are just so many generalizations about our, our state that I don't like, but, you know, we really just try and focus on the good things and what we do and uh, sharing with the world. And I think people are often surprised to, to see a brand like ours and from Appalachia and the great things that we're doing. So, you know, we just kind of keep our heads down and focus on being the best we can be and making sure we have these good partnerships with other producers and uh, sharing, sharing the good word of, of what we do. Yeah. So, I mean, what you do, you do it well. You have an amazing product. It's you, obviously it's unique when you talk about making salt in Appalachia, but the way you do it, it's pretty amazing, especially being so sustainable um, yeah. and, and appreciating the environment. You know, it's amazing the way you do it. And we appreciate uh, the product that you provide. And there are great things happening here and we're not totally extraction focused anymore. You know, the state's really pivoting and embracing renewable energy. And mm -hmm. I think a more, more diversified economy and our, you know, with our new national park at the New River Gorge National Park is drawing a lot of people and just the beauty there. So I think West Virginia is kind of on the rise. Absolutely. Solar holler. We, we spoke to the guys that helped uh, start that company and, and that's a a unique and really awesome thing that they're doing. So uh, you talked about, you know, renewable, renewable energy and things like that. I just, uh, that came to my mind that that's on one of our episodes, but. Uh, oh, great. Yeah. We actually put um, solar panels on two of our buildings uh, last summer. Okay. And, uh, it's made a big difference. And how many acres do you have there? Um, the salt works is on about, three but the family we're on the family farm that we've owned since 1832 so it's about 40 acres so we do a lot of special events and weddings and and you have full-time employee that runs that whole special event wedding type business for you as well yes well actually right at the moment i'm doing it i'm kind of between two uh event coordinators but um yeah i've got a new person coming on here after labor day who will do that. And then we've got some, you know, part-time people that support her. My social media marketing guy works part-time in events. And then I've got a couple other people that, that do events. Plus our kind of gig workers that service. But, things. But 10 years ago, I never thought that social media guys or girls or girls <laughs> would be such an integral part of business. And just about every company now has to have them. Uh, yes. And it's a big job. I, I oh tried God. to do it early on and, you know, it was, it's 
free basically, but just the time it takes Mm -hmm. to do it right, to keep it on brand and, and that sort of thing, you know, and all the different platforms, are you on everything or do you kind of limit it to, to Instagram, Twitter, Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, We have a Yelp business page that we have to keep up with. And then our Google business page, right. It always seems like something's popping up everywhere. Something new that we've got to keep up with and uh, yeah. LinkedIn. And we just actually put a thing on Facebook and Instagram about, we have some cattle here on the farm. They're belted Galloway. They're black with white stripes around them and they're super cute. So we yeah. have a new, a new calf. So we're having a contest to name that calf. And we got, I think, more engagement than we've ever had. I think we had nine. We've had 900 uh, recommendations for that calf's name. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) My son, I have an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and an 11-month-old. But we have chickens. My son, my 11-year-old, wanted chickens for his birthday last year. So we've had these chickens for... Uh, almost a year, nine months, I guess. And they finally started laying eggs. So he started his own business. And mm-hmm. when you mentioned salt on eggs earlier, that's what my mind went to about our chickens. And oh, good. Good that, for him. You know, back in the day, the, the, the best method of advertisement was word of mouth. And right. I, still, I still think it is today, except you can't have a business without social media now no you can't it's, it's uh it's amazing yeah we have a youtube channel too so it's fun well good for your son that's a great yeah. great way to dip his toe into entrepreneurship one thing we all also ask all our guests you kind of alluded to where you're from but where do you call home what, what makes it home for you what makes it unique um you know i grew up here in charleston which is right next to malden my family's been here for seven generations, so this is definitely my home. And I actually live in my grandparents' house that they built in the 1930s. So that feels right at home. And uh, there's a little cabin next to it where my parents came home from the hospital with me. So I actually have the same address on my birth certificate as I do on my driver's license today. Awesome. awesome. So, you know, I you know, it's land that my great grandfather bought. And um, so I really feel rooted here. And my brother lives here with his family. And it's just, it's home. You know, I when I get back to these mountains, if I'm away, I just, it makes me feel safe. Interestingly, I lived in Wyoming and uh, the front range of Colorado for six years on the plains. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was just uncomfortable there and I didn't know why. And once I moved to the mountains of North Carolina and was embraced by trees again around me, I realized that that was what was missing in my life and uh, having something close by. I didn't, I felt vulnerable out there. Something was going to get me. So I, uh, I love these mountains and I love having trees around me and uh, rhododendron forests. And so. That's a great answer. I'm the one that still lives in Appalachia, and that's kind of the the reason why we started this podcast. To you, you spoke earlier about Appalachians who you know you just keep your head down and do what you're supposed to do, and mm-hmm. and and run your business, which is can be true for thousands of people within Appalachia. I think that's one of the traits that we all kind of share, and we don't really uh, what we like to refer to as we don't often gas ourselves up. We don't tell the world enough about us. So that's right. really, 
that's really what we're trying to do through this podcast. And I just want to say thanks for giving us the opportunity to try to get the word out there, even though you're, you're worldwide and you're a well-known established company. And thank you for, for taking the time to allow us to kind of shed some light on your company and, and have an opportunity to tell the world more about you. Well, thank you. No, I appreciate what y'all are doing because I think the more people we have sharing the good stories here, the better we'll, better we'll be. Wow, man. I'm glad we got to Nancy Bruns because she just uh, gave me a whole new education on salt. How interesting it is to to hear from her just the years and years and years and years and years and hundreds of years literally of history of salt in Appalachia and uh, I was impressed how about you it's not every day that you meet a salt maker and that's exactly what her and her family have been for generations it's pretty and pretty amazing to to think about having that vast ocean underground right beneath right beneath as you guys were talking i was signing up for that mercantile seasoning box (laughs) (laughs) she sold you huh she sold you y'all she had me she she hooked me for sure she had you at salt absolutely you know that so i'm i am dying to try some of that bloody mary salt that you know i always Ramp. ramp salt how how cool is that yeah i know right but she asked about, you know, she mentioned putting salt in your cocktail. Is that is that something you knew? I mean, be honest. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I, I've seen people, you know how you, you pour a beer and sometimes the foam of the head, the head of the beer. I, I've seen people put salt in their beer. I, I don't do it, but I've seen people do it. And it kind of dissipates that. But I always put a little salt in my cocktail. Really? Yes, it does make, I mean, she's a thousand percent right. It just brings the flavor out more. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I meant to. I always put it on the table so the glass doesn't slide around. I didn't want, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to interrupt her during that. But yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a must. You got to do that out there. You know, not too much salt, but just a little. No, um, salt can go on so many things. Pretty cool what they're doing over there. Pretty cool for the region to bring back that tradition to Appalachia. And, and they're true makers. I mean, we talk about makers on here. Um, we talk about the makers of Appalachia, and they are true makers of salt. It's really cool. Yeah, awesome that, you know, she, she seven generations of her family have been right there in, in Charleston. And just what a what a great person to, to kind of restart that whole salt business there uh, in their family and jq dickinson is doing great things now and i can't wait to get my seasoning box so i think everybody should go sign up <laughs> absolutely and the way they partner with other people uh with other companies is really cool helps to drive uh, buying local buying small buying within your region within your area or within appalachia it's just just really cool what they got going on. Uh, they do a really good job at marketing what they have, and, and they have a really quality, high quality brand and high quality product. I know that new restaurant they she was talking about that they're just getting into partnering with. I know that'll be fantastic, and I hope to hit that up soon too. I thought I thought this was a great episode. I thought Nancy was 
did a good job of just teaching us Appalachians on uh, the importance and the whereabouts and how you get, how you make salt. I agree for, for all the listeners out there shit, they should definitely, if you see it in your stores or order it from their website, try out JQ Dickinson salt. Uh, I, I will ask you as we kind of wrapping up the episode, uh, I don't think you've talked about of place in, in a few episodes. And I've wondered if you had anything tonight of place that you wanted to mention, just something that gives you that sense of place, that sense of home, that little bit of magic in the mountains. Do you have anything well, I, you know, I was just kind of thinking uh, there when she was talking about history and generations and family. And, uh, you know, it just kind of took me back to uh, when our grandparents were living. And, you know, those that don't know that listened to our episode, Will and I lost our grandparents tragically in a in a car wreck back in 2003. But what great people they were, if anyone if anyone knew them or knew of them that listens to our podcast they were uh you know kind of hero figures for for will and i and i can remember every night as grandmother prepared papaw's dinner uh and usually fed the rest of us because you know anytime he was eating it was always funny i can picture him now he'd have a whole plate full of food and be like here, 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 try this, try that. Now, here, take a bite of mine. Take, take a bite of this. By the end of the meal, his plate was clean, but I really am never sure how much he actually ate. He would pass it all around the table, but, you know, he always dabbed a little salt on it, but I, I was just thinking when she was talking about her family sitting down at the, at the table and celebrating their business, and I just, those dinners that we would have at grandmother and papa's house and sitting around their table and, he just kind of being the center of the table and everybody eating around him. And then at the end, at the end of the meal, you know, things getting cleaned up. I always like to stay the night with him when I was little, because you know what happened after the meal, uh, when everybody was gone and everybody was off to bed and he would sit in his chair, he'd always go get a Reese cup. Oh yeah. (laughs) And if I was there, I always got a Reese cup too. So (laughs) I tried to make it, I tried to stay up. He'd be halfway asleep in his chair and just all of a sudden kick out of his chair. It's Reese cup time. The Appalachian Reese cup. Appalachian Reese cup. He probably probably put salt on that too. (laughs) That's great. That's great. One of my favorite things that, that we do did as a family was, and I'm sure it, it, it's in a lot of families in Appalachia sitting around the table after dinner and just talking. The conversations always lead down a path, never, you know, never discussed in the beginning, but it always ends up somewhere. And it's always, it's always been a special place in my heart that that just sitting around the kitchen table after a meal with your family, with our family and how, I don't know, it was always cool and special to me. I think uh, most of the people in our family, that's kind of where we developed our conversational skills, I guess. And uh, as we were growing up, you you were doing one of the most important skills, listening. <laughs> <laughs> Between me and Amy, we were doing most of the talking. But well, people have asked me before. You know, some people like to like to claim that I've I was quiet, and I, I've said I've. I've never been really that quiet. I've just never been able to get a word in. <laughs> Big family will do that to you, boss. <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. 
<laughs> All right, man. I think that's a really good ending to this episode. Uh, and we want to thank Nancy again for taking the time and, and for the product that she makes. It's just brilliant what they're doing, what they're doing for the region, just bring, bringing back the salt to Appalachia where, where it always should have been. Absolutely. Thanks again, Nancy. See you soon. All right. Like, box. A, like I usually <laughs> do at the end of episodes, I'll say till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.